I had targets and I had plans to do this and that and build this business and build that business. When it came to doing it, I didn't really have the energy and the motivation because doing this job that was maybe grating me, grating with me now, uh, was taking that energy away. Have the the mindset and the motivation to actually build a second income or whatever it is that gets you to that place, you've developed the skills to be something greater. And now you're not, you're not going to just sit at the beach and be happy. You're like You've built yourself into something else. Your 1.1 version of yourself or 2.0 version of yourself to get to that point, now you, you can do even more because not only do you have those skills, but you've proven to yourself that you can do something more than the simple existence of whatever it was. Most people have a nine to five simple job and coming home and watching Netflix. You've proven that you're something more. So the world's got more possibilities. And when you've, when you've got this, this freedom financially, you can choose how to be and how to live, yourself, live your life. And when you're not doing things that great with you, you're kinder, you've got more compassion and time for people. So you've got so much more to give. And I think that's a real opportunity that people can aspire to. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 270 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Kiev, Ukraine with Martin Hetzel. Welcome. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Uh, this has been fun. And guys and gals listening, sorry it's been so long since my last episode. I think the last time I recorded had to have been like two months ago. But so much has happened since then, and I'm sure we'll get to some of that. But first off... Martin, can you tell us a little bit back about your background, where you're from? Hi, everyone. So I'm originally Australian, and uh, when I was about 26, I moved to the UK for job opportunities and to start a new life. And since then, everything went pretty well. And yeah, I'm now free-spirited and spending about half my time in the UK, and at the moment, half the time in, in Kiev, in Ukraine. Free-spirited? What does that mean? I like that. Well... I'm still getting used to it, Johnny, but I was contracting for about 20 years and I stopped. I was had enough independent income and I thought, well, if, if nothing great comes, I'll just see how I go. And nothing great came and I'm just sort of making it up as I go. I've been investing a little bit with the funds I've got to build my future, but in the meantime, starting to put my toe in this new world of uh, being more free and someone like yourself being able to travel in different places and and go where you feel like yeah i like it so what what actually made you leave australia why did you move to the uk in the first place well I, i kind of won the lottery when i not literally but when i finished university i got a job for this this big german software company and it was all the thing, like huge companies like Nike, Unilever, used this software and were coming up to 2000 uh, some time ago and every company was throwing money at IT projects sort of year 2000 issues, right? 
And so I worked for this company and I could see that there were contracts in Europe and all over the world. So I decided to get really good at what I did. So I took my laptop home every night and, uh, and got good. And over two years in Australia, I, I built my confidence up and suddenly I was getting calls from the US and I was talking to agents in the UK. And I realized that if I moved to the UK or somewhere, I'd get a job. It was a question of just how good the job would be. Would I be working for a mid-cap company or, uh, at you know, a good salary, or would I be able to work for myself, getting like $1,000 a day or more, 1,000 pounds a day? It's like, wow, so let's go for that. Oh, that's cool. And, and is that something you couldn't have done from Australia? No, not, really, not many people know. Australia is a really big country, but it's got a small population. It's about 22 million people now. So if you're growing in your career, you've got limited options within Australia. And a lot of Australians, they look abroad, They're like Singapore, uh, the United States and Europe to, to use it, well, to go from Australia to springboard to the, to the next level in their career. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about Australia is it's one of the very few countries where it seems like there, this kind of a middle class actually works where... I think regardless of what your job is, you get paid a pretty good wage, like $15, $20 an hour. But it's really hard to make less than that, and it's also really hard to make much more than that. Is that true? Uh, well, I'm not an expert anymore in Australia, but the standard of living is very high. And yeah, if you work in a coffee shop, you might get 15 or $20 an hour just on a normal salary, plus they pay into your pension. So it's really high standard of living. It also means a cup, cup of coffee is really expensive, right? So teachers, policemen, they get paid really well. Yeah, and even fruit pickers get paid really well sometimes. Yeah. 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 There's, there is a, an upper class in Australia, let's say, but it's not that. There aren't as many levels like, for example, in the UK where I live now. There's huge discrepancy between rich and poor. There's, and it's, it's kind of an accepted part of society that that's how it is. And that's yeah. just, you know, that's how the cookie crumbles. When you're born, you're in this class. When you, when you die, you're in, that, in the same class, right? But in Australia, the class is really compressed. So yeah. it feels like it's quite a fair society and there's opportunities for everyone. Yeah. So one really funny thing is I was in Sydney, I don't know, a bunch of years back. And me and a couple of friends, uh, all from LA, we decided to go to uh, some bar, right? Some like cool bar. And we go there and they're doing kind of what you would call face control here in, um, in Ukraine. But I didn't really know what they were checking for. I mean, I knew they were making sure people weren't drunk already, uh, but also, you know, I'm, I'm sure they were checking for other things. And we get to the front of the line, and they're like, how much, how much have you guys had a drink? And we're like, like, nothing, you know? Like, maybe we had, like, one drink or something. And they, like, look us up and down, and like, like, sorry, guys. And we're like, what? Like, what's wrong? You know? And I thought, oh, maybe we're not, like, dressed nice enough, you know? Our hotel was close by, so we went back, we changed, and we're like, you know what, let's like really like put on the, the, the full kit, you know? Because in LA, if you ever get rejected from a club, it's usually because you're not dressed nice enough. So we go back, and I think we put on like suits, and like, we're like, okay, let's, let's do this. So we go back, and we're like, you know, hi, you know, can we come in? And the guy, this, it was the same security, he's like, guys, what are you doing? Like, I, like, I told you guys, you, you guys couldn't come in because you were too dressed up. And you, and you went back and you put on suits? What are you doing? And I was like, and we were shocked. And we were, looked at each other. We were like, we assumed we couldn't get in because we weren't dressed nice enough. 
And he's like, no, man, like, look around. Everyone's like, you know, like, we don't want, like, suits here. Like, you know, go home, put on a T-shirt and some shorts and come back. And he let us in. That's funny, yeah. Australia's pretty chilled. Yeah, and I've never seen that anywhere else. So it, it kind of, the reason why I even bring this up is it's funny that so many of us move to, like, you know, better pastures or, you know, you move from, you know, small, relatively country of Australia to... You know, they're great, you know, London, like Britain, and to get opportunity. People from Ukraine move to the U.S. or to Europe for opportunity. But a lot of times, people also kind of do the opposite, too, where we're here kind of moving or spending time in Ukraine. Mm. And a lot of people I know, they move to Australia because they just want, like, that kind of fair middle-class life. And it really seems like a utopia for them. Yeah, yeah, well... The grass is always greener, isn't it? And I think when you start to travel, you start to appreciate what resonates well with you. So I like the fast pace of London and I like the opportunity that it has and the networking and people from all over the world. But I also love to be here where we're closer to nature. We're, we're in the center now. We both stay in the center and you can walk around everywhere. There's not so much pollution. Uh, you can buy fresh fruit and vegetables. And it's quite innocent. Some of these things that I really appreciate that are really hard to get in the UK. So I guess go where you're treated best and go where you feel comfortable, go where you feel everything's aligned up for you. And at the moment, these two, UK and Ukraine, it really works well for me. So I don't know why anybody in the right mind would live in the UK. I'm just putting that out there. And <laughs> I'm sure there's reasons why you like it. But... From my point of view, like just from what I've seen, you know, I didn't spend that much time there, but I've met so many British people while traveling. Probably more, like the the single biggest majority of people I've met, uh, both traveling but also just living abroad, have been from the UK. And the ones who live abroad never want to go back. You know, they they vow, like you know, I, I it's funny because for every other country. We normally go back once a year to visit family or friends or pick up a new driver license or a new credit card. And it's not a big deal. It's kind of a, a habit, but also we look forward to it. Mm-hmm. British people are usually the ones who are like, they're like, no, <laughs> like I wouldn't refuse to go back even once every five years. Any idea why that would be? Um, when you say that, I'm thinking of British people in Thailand, Australia, mm-hmm. New Zealand, and they've gone for the complete opposite. They love the weather. Uh-huh. They love the lifestyle and, and the accessibility that some of these countries have. Where uh, Maybe if they're living in Manchester, for example, it's cold and grey. They can't go to the beach. They can't be so active. They love to have that in Australia, for example. Uh, it's also very far away for them. So it's, it's, they, only have to, they only go back when they really have to or if they're close with family. So that's just my thoughts on that. Yeah, it could definitely be that. And, but at the same time, they're, they're the ones that definitely miss their, their home food the most. <laughs> I feel like when you have, you know, Americans shopping abroad, we're not really like, we're like, oh, we need, you know, whatever, whatever American food. Yeah. Or if somebody's from, I don't know, I, I guess it's hard, hard to know because let's say like a Thai person, like I haven't met that many Thai people living abroad, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like Brits are for sure the ones that are like, I need my, you know, I need fish and chips. I need baked beans. I need, you know, HP sauce. Where can I find this? If I don't have it, I, I just can't live. And you can't understand it, right? Yeah. It's like, why would you hanker? Why would you crave fish and chips when it's just like fish and chips? But yeah. 
they're they're quite loyal to their to their foods and some of these things are a tradition like this brown sauce they put on so many things it's like it's disgusting by the way well i guess if you're brought up with it it's, yeah. it's like ketchup in the u.s right so yeah i don't know i think let's debunk a myth right know. um i'm a bit of a foodie and the food in london's great uh-huh. the food scene's great and when people say what is there in britain uh-huh. it's like fish and chips and they're like yeah haha fish and chips that's all you've got i'm like have you had british puddings my father calls it the pudding island i'm a sweet tooth okay. and you've got sticky toffee pudding brownie um all these things are trifle i guess uh in winter these everything with custard it's it's just great sponge it's cakes okay. and all this sort of stuff and and you don't think of sweets obviously being a sweet tooth i i, <laughs> I think of that but i'm more of a savory guy so yeah. there are a handful of things that i love about british food i love full english breakfast i, I would say it's superior to the american breakfast uh, it's, you know, it's bigger, it's more variety, it just tastes better. I like the, I like the mushrooms, I like all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Sunday roast is amazing. It's yeah. like Thanksgiving dinner, but with you know roast beef. And every week. <laughs> and it's every week, so once a year. <laughs> Pasties from like Cornwall, very yeah, tasty. Yeah. There, there's like a... You could probably describe it better than me. We've got all these different ones. Yeah, it's, it's a... It was designed originally for the miners. So they'd, they'd get pastry and they'd have various things inside like carrots and potato and with some spices and they'd wrap it in pastry and it would go in the guy's pocket so it would stay warm and he didn't have to wrap it or anything and it'd go going down in the mines and they'd have a meal yeah and they they've evolved to have different things in them some beef and pork and all this sort of stuff and in some of the train stations in the uk they're quite tricky they've got this franchise i think it's called the cornwall pastry company and they're very clever because they warm all the pasties and and they have the the smells coming out so when you when you're slightly hungry it's just like tapping you on the shoulder basically the smells like come 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 and eat me and you're like ah oh. Yeah. And they're good, yeah? Yeah, they're really good. We don't have anything like that in the US. I mean, probably the closest thing we have is like a Hot Pocket. But imagine like a fresh Hot Pocket, freshly baked in the oven, you know, a little bit crunchy, a little bit flaky yeah. with meat and potatoes inside. And usually they'll do like a third of it as a, a sweet pie filling. Okay. So you have, you know, your, you can have one side if you have your lunch, kind of your savory food. And then on the last couple bites, you have like a cherry filling or apple filling. So you kind of have dessert as well. There you go. Yeah. So that is fantastic, I would say. Yeah. Uh, fish and chips are actually pretty good once in a while. I wanna, if, yeah. if you get it from, if it's fresh fish, like mm. it's fantastic. But yeah. obviously you've got different levels and, and there's a lot of chain pubs that have fish and chips and it's just straight in the, from the freezer and whack it in the deep fat fryer and out it comes and yeah it's fish and chips with mushy peas and all this stuff it ticks the box but it's just it's not it's not really alive is it it's Mm -hmm. it's all mass mass produced and that's that's one thing that western countries are going more towards and ukraine doesn't have that as much yeah and and an observation for me like in in the uk and i guess the us is the same it's expensive to buy fresh, healthy food. Mm-hmm. So you can buy a loaf of white bread and it's like 25 cents or 40 cents from, say, Costco or somewhere like that. Over here, people are, and forgive the phrase, they're too poor to buy processed food. Like buying biscuits here is expensive, mm-hmm. but you can buy fresh peaches. Mm-hmm. You can buy tomatoes. You can buy salads. And it's, it's relatively cheap. And so people are fit and healthy here. Like mm-hmm. people are... 
on the street, if you look at the men and women, they're in, they're in shape compared with Western countries. And, and that's something that I really appreciate here. Yeah. It's going to the markets is great and just seeing people a bit more closer to real life and a bit of tradition. And, and it's quite innocent still. And I'm, I'm hoping it stays that way. Yeah, I love it. And the fact that you can walk around and pretty much you, you'll almost never see obese people. For some reason, the kind of old women, the babushkas, are always a bit chubby and fat. But that, I think that has more to do with the famine mentality of going through Soviet times and then just kind of overloading on whatever whatever food they had because, you know, uh, back then, you know, they would go through periods without food. So now, you know, they kind of just overeat. But the younger, and when I say younger, I mean anyone under 50, everyone's fit. Nobody's fat. No one's overweight. It's really rare. So, yeah, again, it's, it's one of the good things about, a, let's say, a more traditional society. And I'm saying that coming from, with my view of the world, some other people might say, oh, well, traditions five years ago or ten years ago were much more sacred than they are now. And uh, Ukraine being closer to the EU, it's starting to crumble these, these traditions and break away. But for me, yeah, it's, it's special. Yeah, I think it's sad that so many so-called advanced cultures are getting rid of traditions and their history. You know, when I went to Lithuania, they are so pro-EU that they basically tried to erase their entire history of, you know, of their Soviet times. And, and I know a lot of bad things happen, so they don't want to remember it. But at the same time, they're also kind of throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater. You know, they decided, let's completely forget, you know, the last 80 years of anything good that ever happened. Let's forget about, you know, selling uh, fruit and vegetables on the market, like on the, on the street, uh, and how, you know, and giving, you know, small businesses and, you know, these babushkas a job. Let's make that illegal and you can only buy uh, vegetables in a supermarket. And they, they really like sterilize it. They're, they're trying to go that route where everything's in a mall, like literally. Like I was trying to buy a uh, travel adapter, like a plug adapter. I had to go to six different electronic stores. And here I can just walk into any metro station or I can just basically walk into any little shop and buy it. There I had to go into malls, like actual malls in and outside of the city to find something that simple. Hey, that's, that's the way you and all the big countries are going. Like Amazon's taking over and all the big corporates, the Coca-Cola buy all the drinks and yeah. that's, that's where it's going. So sadly yeah but at the same time it's our fault as consumers yeah. because we're buying you know the packaged goods we're buying we're ordering off of amazon we're buying things from you know these big corporate giants because it's more convenient or maybe it's a little bit cheaper and and usually just because we're lazy you know usually just more convenient yeah and you know well in in the uk anyway like going to a farmer's market it's it's really expensive and which is crazy right it should be cheaper if you think about it yeah but you've got a small farm competing against the supermarkets who have contracts with huge farms and uh, you know you're always going to be paying double or whatever it costs and they're only available on Saturday between these hours at the farmer's market where it's really nice to go on an app on the Thursday afternoon when you're on the metro and be like what do I want to eat for this week and you just click 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 and it it arrives on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning and you didn't have to go to the supermarket so yeah, it's tough. Um, and I think as consumers, we need to be aware of our choices because it is, oh, there's an app and click, 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 it's done. But that comes at a cost to other things. And there are some other decisions we could make. And 
it doesn't involve flying to another country, but we can be more conscious of these things, I think. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. Uh, I mean, if wherever you guys live, check out your local CSA box, uh, Community Source Agriculture. It's basically farm weekly farm deliveries to your house. And they're usually very reasonable prices, uh, fresh produce, whatever. And what I like about it is they just send you whatever is fresh that week. Yeah. So you have you, it forces you to uh, vary your diet, have a bit of, um, you know, I, I guess different different tastes that normally, like you, you wouldn't buy this turnip, but now you're Googling, like, what do I do with this turnip? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great suggestion. And so yeah. it's, it's seasonal as well. So you're not getting things that are flown in from Mexico and Ecuador. And, you know, we, we got used to the convenience of having pineapple every day if we want it or things, things in little boxes that's convenient to go. Mango and, and someone in some country like Thailand worked in a pretty pretty tough condition to chop that up and it went on a plane and it, it came in on your doorstep and yeah but the, going back to the roots and the seasonal stuff and as you say getting a good amount of variety and living like our ancestors did mm. there's a, there's a reason they did it and it's good for us yeah and it's good for your wallet too because it's a lot cheaper normally when you're actually buying whatever's fresh and in stock. I've been keeping an eye on the berries for the last couple of months, <laughs> like pretty much since like March or April when I got here. And at the time, strawberries were like 200 something per kilo, which is like $9. Uh, blueberries were astronomical. They were like, I mean, it was, they were like, like $50 a, a, like a kilo or something, something insane. And I actually just remember just joking and saying, I think the new flex would be to just drive around with like a, you know, this like plastic container with the blueberries, just like eat them and like throw some out the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and drive past the guys with the champagne. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? So, yeah. That's so 2020. <laughs> but now it's strawberry season. So everywhere they have strawberries for, you know, 60 uh, grievina per, per kilo, which is like a dollar a pound, basically. Uh, a pound per kilo. <laughs> Well, have whatever currency you're in, but uh, that, that's yeah. that's like a, a pound fifty for. Well, they're cheap. Yeah. They're cheap. They're very cheap. They're really cheap, and they're and they're fresh, and yeah. and they're delicious. You, yeah. you should try them because they're coming from different places, and try one first. Yeah, these are good, and because it's also thirty five degrees out there, and they're mm. they're sitting on the street, so you want to buy them at the start of the day, not the end of the day, right? It's yeah, fresh. But you can kind of tell. I think when you look at them, you can and you just look a little squeeze. But what I like is there are literally these like old women who just sit on the side of the street they don't have any permits they don't need a license they don't need to you know register this business they're getting it from you know some local farm somewhere or somewhere close by and they set up a little table a little stool and they sell them and they're literally everywhere so just on your way home on your way from the metro station you just pick up a kilo and and you're good that's uh, ukrainian fast food yeah <laughs> and it's and it's amazing you know and, and i'm so glad that like i never see people eating chips here like yeah it's you know, it's, I hope it stays this way. I, I think it won't because everything kind of goes that trend of processed foods, but at least for now, it's, it's not there yet. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, coming from Australia where I grew up with such great fruit and, you know, like watermelon, peaches, nectarines and apricots. And sadly with global warming in Australia, like my mom's apricot tree died. Oh, no. and, and And some of these things we had a, 
she she's clever with trees. She put she made a tree. She's yeah. what's the word? Splayed it. Yeah. She put them together: a nectarine and a peach tree. So we had both. On one side was peaches, one side nectarines. That's died as well. So. Oh, no. Here, I've got these flavors from when I was a kid, and it's just it's like ne- fresh nectarines. That's something from the gods. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I would, yeah, I would, yeah. Now I want some. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right now, I think the best things here are apricots and yeah. uh, strawberries. So as we move in, yeah, it's going to be watermelon. And yeah, watermelon in, in the UK is coming from Turkey, and maybe it's coming on a pallet on a plane. Maybe it's on a pallet on a big truck. And there's a lot of bumps in the road between Turkey and uh, UK, right? And here you've got a guy who's just had them in the country, and he brings them in, and they're actually like... I think they're five pence a kilo, so that's about, what, seven seven US cents for one... one For two pounds of watermelon. Like, yeah. Here in Ukraine, you see that? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, actually, especially after Brexit the import exports have been much more expensive i just watched a documentary on this where there there was a seafood seller from from wales yeah. and she says that everything is at least 20 percent more but also the big risk is if anything gets stuck in customs for a few hours a few days everything spoils yeah we won't talk about it too much but the first couple of weeks at this the start of this year the seafood sellers were really up in arms because not everyone knew what documentation needed to be mm-hmm. sent and and that included the sellers but it also included the border staff yeah they're like oh you haven't got form abc they're like well, we've got xyz that's what we uh oh. we'll, yeah and then at the same time the, the crayfish or you know the lobsters sitting there and yeah, yeah the, the the exports uh yeah they've fallen off a cliff a bit it's going to take some time to to balance and some businesses in the UK are no longer selling to the EU but it'll sort itself out I mean Britain's resilient whether you're for or against Brexit I hope the country will, will it's it's a very resilient country it's centuries and centuries of strength so it might take a little bit of time but it'll come back this is to uh, Great Britain, Britain getting great again let's hope <laughs> so are you traveling on a uh, on a British passport or Australian passport um, in Europe, I travel on the British, and okay. uh, when I go to Australia, I take the Australian, and that's about it. Okay. It just just seems easier. And, yeah, I think my Australian passport's probably uh, lapsed now. Uh. Uh, the country's closed at the moment, so. I'm oh, it's good that you're not stuck there because I heard you couldn't leave. Yeah, well, yeah, you need special permission to leave. Certainly, as a resident, you need special permission to leave. I'm not sure what it's like if you're a visitor, but yeah, it's. Um, it's sad. It's a sad situation. There's a lot of Australians stranded abroad for a year and a half. They That's went, crazy. They went to visit their uncle or they went to a wedding or somebody was elderly and maybe yeah. it's their last year and they went to visit them and they, they've, they've got stuck and they're living in people's lounge rooms and back sheds and you know caravans and they've run out of money. They've lost their jobs. How do they pay their mortgage? And the government's, oh, just draw on your pension. You'll be okay. And they're 30 and like, come on. Uh, yeah, and, and as a wealthy country, I, I don't understand why they didn't send some planes mm-hmm. and fly everyone to the desert. Uh, they've got, surely they've got lots of military camps mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, set it all up, sort it out, get everyone yeah. back. Like it's it's not a problem. Yeah, even if someone had, you know, even if they had to do like a thirty day quarantine, I'm sure some people still would have rather have done that. Yeah, exactly. So I think I don't know the exact numbers, but I think around at the start of the year, about thirty six thousand Australians still out of the country. Yeah, so, uh, and I'm curious how many of them 
are just glad they're out of Australia and how many of them like desperately want to get back I think probably if, if you're living in Australia you'd probably want to be back like yeah. if you hadn't planned to leave you'd still have an apartment with full of stuff and yeah. you know your that's fa- tough yeah and your family and everyone close and your job and yeah. all this stuff and not everyone's so flexible as, as yourself Johnny so yeah it's hopefully it'll sort itself out soon I'm not expecting to be able to visit my family till hopefully end of next year Christmas Let's see. Yeah. So this is a, a good reminder because I think a lot of us have forgotten about COVID restrictions just because wherever we're from, you know, is relatively open. So in the U.S., basically, it's, it's done. You know, there's like there's no masks uh, being worn. You can travel freely. You can do whatever you want. Meanwhile, in Australia, which pretty much everyone didn't even th- you know think about or talk about for a year and a half. Uh, it's I, it's shocking to me to hear that it's still being locked down. And this is like summer of 2021 now. So just to be absolutely clear, so the country's basically put up put up the walls. They've created, they've got a, it's the biggest island, right? So they can just really reduce their traffic. They haven't beaten COVID. They've said, okay, we're going to stop COVID coming in uh, while they work on vaccine strategy and everything like that. So Australia is pretty much normal, back to normal. They've got so few cases. Occasionally, a, a case escapes from the hotel quarantine. It, basically, for everybody listening, if, if you fly to Australia now, if you're somehow allowed to get in, you have to stay in a hotel for two weeks, and that's stay in a hotel room for two weeks. There's a guard in the in the hot corridor to make sure you don't leave. There's no window. Uh, sorry, there's a window, but you can't open it. You get three meals delivered, and you get a test. And if at the end of the two weeks you're good, you you can go. So they've kind of really restricted the border, and this stops COVID, and it, it's worked. Yeah, but at a cost of all these Australians being stranded, and they've got big football tournaments, and it's pretty much life as usual now. But they, what's happened to the tourism industry? What's happened to Qantas? Like. There's, there's a lot of cost to that, and hopefully we get back soon. But, yeah, I don't know too, enough about it because I'm not there, and I talk to my family, and they're, they're doing normal stuff. And I think a lot of countries have kind of got back to some normality without having that mixing. So, for example, the UK is pretty good right now, mm-hmm. but travel is quite restricted. Uh, I was talking to a friend today who did want to travel to the US, and he's got two weeks quarantine. Um, if he wanted to go to Disneyland, his six, seven-year-old child needed to have vaccine, yeah. like double vaccine. Which kids have vaccines? Like yeah. This is because he's a foreigner. So in the US, people can do this, and that's kind of normal. But the mixing of people across borders yeah. is really restricted or on hold. And some countries, like within the EU, it's it's flowing. And obviously, we're both here. We're able to get here. But uh, yeah, let's, let's hope it all gets yeah, I, I think we definitely all want that. and But at the same time, I, I do understand that travel is a choice. You know, it, it is a, a benefit to be able to travel for other countries to let us in. Uh, it's not, a, you know, it's a privilege, it's not a right. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege that we've gotten so used to over the last, you know, however, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of cheaper and cheaper air travel. And if anything, actually... <laughs> I think it's it's almost kind of come at a good time because it was getting ridiculous where people, especially Brits, <laughs> would fly somewhere just for like a two-day holiday just to drink and get smashed and go home, you know? And Americans started doing this as well. 
but it was harder because it's such a long flight. We just can't physically do it, you know. Yeah, but don't 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 forget that people fly to Las Vegas f- for two week for two yeah. days. It's the same. Like if you're flying for two hours from London to Barcelona, yeah. Okay, some people are going there to get drunk and watch the football and you know enjoy themselves cool and other people enjoy themselves going to art galleries and enjoying the food and strolling around the port and going to Barcelona the beach and things like that but it's two hour to two hours 20 and within the US like air travel everywhere has increased and the, the yeah. fl- they've got cheaper flights have got cheaper and more abundant so the choice you have now in even small ta- small cities I was looking the other day I was I had a week to kill and I could have gone to Albania mm. and I could have gone to like even Crete. I could fly directly from Kiev to Crete mm. and I could fly back from Crete to Odessa. Mm. And so I could mix things up. Like these mm. choices would never have been available five, eight years ago. Yeah, definitely. And, and I understand why people took it because there were, you know, sometimes it was cheaper to fly to another country than it would be to take a train or a bus to the next city. So why wouldn't you do it, right? Yeah. And, but at the same time, it was putting a lot of strain on, like, you know, border controls um, and, you know, Im- like in immigration, you know, it was like it was so easy and laxed that we took advantage of it. We were like, OK, yeah, let's just, you know, we didn't even think of it as going to another country. Like, you know how hard it was like in our parents age to like go to another country? It was a big deal. But I think we just got so comfortable and so kind of entitled, like, oh, yeah, of course you're going to let me in to whatever country this is. Pretend, Johnny, that that's going to be back there in, in yeah. two years, three years, five years. Like getting a flight now, it's like catching a bus mm-hmm. and going on the metro. Like you swipe your passport and the, the gates open. Like there's no, not everyone's checking your passport now. If you're going home, mm-hmm. they've got electronic gates. And yeah. If you're in the UK, if you're arriving, if you've got EU passport, Swiss passport, Singapore, Australia, it's all electronic. Mm-hmm. So where's that going? It, it's going to be even more seamless and faster. And we won't even have to scan our passports in a few years. We'll just be scanning our eyes and, and off we go. It'll yeah. be open free gates. And that's that's it. We're going to go back to that, I'm sure. Yeah. And you make a good point where maybe that is where the future should go, where it just becomes that easy, you know, where we don't have to like, like on, on one hand, why do we need to spend so much time in an immigration queue and through, um, you know, to get interviewed about who we are and why, why we left, how long we were, you know, we were gone for, why can't we just scan something and, you know, and say like, and they can just see like, okay, this guy was gone for seven days you know he's a citizen of this country just let him through like what don't don't waste his time <laughs> questioning him you know yeah. but but at the same time you know like even though i am you know a technically a world traveler i like taking advantage of living in different cultures one of the reasons why i like going to different countries is to experience a different culture and if we become so intermixed and there's no such thing as you know native cultures anymore where everything's completely mixed that kind of we lose that as well. Yeah, hundred percent. That that's the, the double-edged sword, isn't yeah. it? And open the gates, and everyone wants to go. And yeah, it's gonna. There's people saying, oh, "I want a Bali bowl. I want a smoothie." And they're like, "What's a smoothie?" And then they you tell them what's a smoothie, and then the next day there's smoothies for everyone. And yeah, you know, which is convenient, but at the same time, it then when you when you have the smoothies and the avo toast. Now you're lo- losing the, you know, whatever traditional breakfast or the traditional drinks were from that country. Yeah, and if you're in the middle of Laos and they've got, like, 
banana smoothies and whatever you know imported avocado it's like mm, something something's been missed here yeah when they've got such amazing food locally and yeah yeah so it, i mean it is a tough decision like it really is it is tough i mean i, I remember this blogger she got in a lot of trouble for saying that she didn't like oslo because there were no norwegian people and she got hated on people tore her apart saying you're racist you know like how dare you and she's like, and you know, and actually, I, I looked at her some of her other content. She was kind of a, a ditz, so you know, I, I'm not va- like vouching for her. But at the same time, if I went to Norway, I would like to see Norwegian people and eat Norwegian food, same as if I went to, you know, any country. Right? If I go to Indonesia, I want to eat Indonesian food. I don't want to just eat Bali bowls and and you know, avo toast every day. Yeah. And it is a shame that that is, that is that, you know we're losing that, and you know it is, you know it, it is kind of the the downside of travel as well, where we think that each of, you know each of us like is, you know this uh, Indiana Jones exploring the world and like you know, but at the same time there's millions of us doing it now. Yeah, and I, I guess it comes back to our earlier point, just about being conscious about how you're spending your money and conscious as a traveler if you're traveling of, of the local environment following the customs and yeah trying the food and, and some people have food allergies and preferences and things like that of course respect that but at the same time like you've stepped out of your comfort zone by jumping on a plane and you're going somewhere new so let's do some new stuff let's yeah. let's let's ask people locally what do you like to do on a weekend where do you go what do you do what are your traditions what sort of restaurants do you like to go to what what's the weird and wonderful foods in this place because i'm gonna have to try that when i'm here and you might see six or eight things and you're like "Mm, okay i'll try two of those those other things they're not for me but let's try these two and do something yeah i agree and actually you made a good point where now it's getting more and more popular to to go you know to a local restaurant and say i want this you know lactose free vegan uh, gluten-free, you know, without GMO, without sugar, you know, don't put that fish sauce in there. And it makes it really hard <laughs> for them to cook, number one. Uh, but second, we don't really get to experience that local cuisine of flavor. You know, I understand not, not everybody can handle spicy food. But at the same time, just everyone getting mad and demanding, you know, like yeah. leaving one-star re- reviews saying, you know, the food's too spicy. It's like come on like you know you're in their culture for them it's not too spicy it's just like it's a it's probably a very good place but it's not to our palate where we can't handle it it's it's our you know we we should just not eat there yeah and i think coming from the west where the customer is king and i think the united states is the epitome of this the customer is the king 100% king and the tip is dependent on the customer's satisfaction so if somebody says you know I want this but hold that and add extra this and can I have a side serving of that it'll it'll appear they'll make it happen and the customer's happy but that person then is taught that they can ask for those things and when they travel they, if they're asking the same stuff I th- you know it makes me cringe but you know everyone's different and maybe i do some things that people cringe at but yeah just being being uh, understanding of the local cultures and there's always something you can try if you don't like spicy food okay so have asked them what's not spicy what what's traditional like georgian food we both love georgian food some of it's spicy but some of it's not 
so you know you can navigate and be open-minded still and, and find things that you like i think just being open-minded and uh, consider it and and just uh, going on a little bit of open-minded adventure it's a way to go yeah so one thing i've always liked about you is you seem very adventurous you're very independent like was that was that always the case when you started traveling um in what sense do you mean independent like I feel like you can kind of just figure out things on your own. Like you don't like need someone to hold your hand. You know, like you can, like you you're not gonna be bored sitting in your hotel room crying, saying like you know, like nobody's available to go out tonight. No, no, not at all. Um, I think there are a few life changing. We all have these things in our lives that help define us. I grew up with a with a mum who had this stamp collection and. They were from stamps from all over the world. So I was this young kid, and I'm five, six, seven, and I'm, where's this from? And she had a money collection too. Like, where's this from? So I was always looking at the at the world and thinking about what it was like in that place. And when I was a student in Australia, I'd, I'd work in hotels, like the, the Hyatt and these, and it was always busy until Christmas time. They had all these huge parties, and I worked like crazy, saved my money, and then, like, everyone's home for Christmas, so I would fly to Bali. And when you're in Australia, it's like the closest place apart from New Zealand of course that is international and it, it took six hours to fly like you're looking outside the window it's like are we there yet are we there oh still there's still over in Australia yeah okay and then you get to see the sea and you're like oh cool we're nearly there um, so I would go to Indonesia and and I would travel all through Indonesia and like I'd land in Bali because it was the easiest way to get in and out and I'd have a couple of days in Bali and do some do some cool stuff you know when you're young you go to bars and stuff but then I'd go to Kuta Beach have a Bintang yeah exactly but then I'd fly to Sumatra and I'd I'd figure shit out and you'd go into a restaurant they didn't speak any English you'd look at what people are having and if they're smiling you're like yeah you point to it and you have it and you you sort of work stuff out and also in my career I was I was the guy who solved problems Um, and having a neutral accent I didn't have an accent, so they liked me to be in the middle of Belgium where no one really spoke much English. So I'd be, I'd be by myself a lot. So you'd have to work stuff out. So you'd arrive at the client, you're like, hey, what's the problem? Okay, geez, I'm going to have to fix that. And I'm by myself. You, you become resourceful that way. And then in the evening, you're, like, you're by yourself as well. What do I do? Okay, cool. Let's, let's work on some, let's learn a language, let's learn some Spanish or whatever. So I guess I've always been like that. And, and also... I guess having some financial success at a young age when like I earned five or six times what my flatmate earned in, in London when I arrived. Like I wanted to live with someone else because I didn't know anyone. Mm. But our lives were completely different. So I had, kind of had to keep that quiet. It's like, how am I going to use this money to help my future? So I didn't have anyone else, no peer group at that time. So I sort of figured things out myself at least to get started. So maybe that's, that's some of the reasons why. Yeah, I like it. And it's really paid off. And a lot of you know a lot of those tips that you mentioned, like you know, just saying, just looking to see what everyone else is eating and saying, "I want that." That has worked for me in so many different countries, you know. And and once in a while, I get something really weird that I just can't eat, but yeah. most of the time, it's delicious, whatever it is. I'm sure I had camel at least once in Egypt, and I didn't know what it was. This is really chewy, but okay, it's probably camel. But all right, we're going to yeah. keep going, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's edible. Obviously, if they're eating it, it's not going to kill you. I'm still alive, and it was an interesting experience. If someone says, "Have you had camel?" I can say, "Pretty sure I did." Yeah, yeah, yeah. most likely. That's <laughs> cool, you know. It's it's all what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? So and and 
being somebody who's orientated towards traveling and, and going off off the beaten track that's what comes with it and you've got to have an open mind and sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't and sometimes you get lost or you get stuck and you don't have any water or you've got to use your sign language to get somewhere but you know, when I was when I was younger in Australia uh, sorry when I was traveling in Indonesia when I was living in Australia I, I was told yeah good idea to travel with a packet of cigarettes mm-hmm. and I'd I wouldn't do it now because I, I want people to be healthy and things, but I'd get these little bimos, which are the little public, tra- the local transport, which is two guys sitting in the front of the, the cab and then the back, it's just like bench seats and they take you wherever you want. And I, I'd make friends by giving them cigarettes and, and chat and, you know, you'd, you'd meet people and they'd take you where you wanted to go that way. Just little things like that. I was like, that's a little bit of a hack. But and now, now, and I'd have maybe some chewing gum and, there'd be a little girl who's like six or seven next to you and her mum's got three chickens and she'd look at you and you'd give her, a, I don't know, or a pencil or something like that. It's just kind of a way to have a local interaction without speaking the language. It's those little special things I remember. But anyway. Yeah. yeah, cool. So is there anything that you would have done differently when, like if looking back now that you're a bit more experienced uh, on, I mean, not necessarily the Bali travel, but um, even like starting out, moving to, to England and starting that new life? Well, <laughs> big question, Johnny. <laughs> um, it's it's a tough one to answer because there were always some things with retrospect, like if I'd known that then, then if I'd turned left instead of right, then things would have happened for me faster. But I don't have any regrets. And I kind of believe you're always in the right place that you need to be. And yeah, you can look back if I'd done this or that things might have been easier but maybe you needed things to be harder it's it's maybe a gift for something that's going to happen to you in future life or you, you're getting more skills that you need uh, so yeah I mean I'm in a good place and there were some sacrifices and, and I was the only one doing my thing for a while and it took a while um, to, to to get certain places but I'm really happy where I am and, and things are good so. Good, good job. It's it's good to be able to to look back and say that. So, how how hard was it actually to move to the UK and and you know go through that process of legally becoming? Mm-hmm. Are you a citizen now? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was a bit better when I got it because it was part of the EU. So I was like, oh, cool, I've got an Australian passport and I've got an EU passport. That that's pretty cool. Um, obviously, it's still a lot of EU access. I was fortunate for two reasons. My grandfather was born in the UK in like 1922 and also having this highly skilled um, talents that I had or, or job that I had in Australia, I could have gone both ways. So when I arrived, I had an interview lined up with PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, so they would have sponsored me if I'd chosen to work for them. And likewise, I was able to get what's called ancestry, um, an ancestry. Citizenship by ancestry. Maybe? Yeah, but it was it wasn't citizenship at that point. Like I, I got off the plane, I had the right to work for. I think I had the right to live in the UK for four years, and wow. I, I could work for myself. So I was independent. Mm-hmm. And the, apart from qualifying through the family link, I had to show that I was going to be not a burden on society, yeah. shall we say? So I had a good character. I didn't have a criminal record, etc. And I wasn't going to be living on benefits and things like that. So I was employable. And it didn't really matter how good your job was, but that you'd have a job. Like I, I could have been 
pretty paid quite simply, but the main thing, I wasn't going to be dependent on the British taxpayer. So but how, how would they know that as soon as you arrived, did you have to have a job lined up already? I had to have, so when I applied, I applied from Australia, and I had some correspondence from agents in the UK, so the, the work I got as a specialist was through an agent who found work for me, or um, they had clients and they had to find people to fill those roles. They had, yeah, when, when you get here, we'll definitely get you a job. And I had two or three, and having that interview lined up also helped. Okay. Yeah. Do you know if that's changed a lot? Is it much harder now? Uh, I can't comment, particularly also with Brexit. So yeah. right now it's, it's a lot, well, previously to a, to advertise a new position, you had to advertise it in the EU mm-hmm. before you could then say take someone from outside the EU. Mm. Now that's changed and I think it's a level playing field. So if you're American or Australian, a lot of people think Australians can automatically live in the UK or work. You, you can't. You actually have less, or you used to have less rights than someone from Spain or France wow, yeah. because of the EU and the, the movement of people, which is now changed. And now it should be a more level playing field and it should be based on skills. Does yeah. the UK need these skills or not? Yeah, I like that. I actually think that's a, a good thing going forward to, to draw from talent from, from everyone in the world. I think it's more fair. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think there's a bright future for for the UK, but I'm glad I'm not from there. I'm glad I don't hold a British passport. <laughs> Look, going back to your earlier point, yeah. for me, it's been a great place to live. And if you're not sharing a place with six or eight other people and living on minimum wage, if you're earning a decent income, it's actually, it's, it's a great place. Yeah. There's It's such a melting pot of culture and, and well, your friends stop in London on the way to somewhere else mm-hmm. and there's a lot to do and you can also go to Europe and fly all these other places and it's allowed me to come here in a couple of hours and yeah. I mean business wise and opportunity wise like I worked all through Europe oh. by myself like they're flying me all over like that was amazing compared with what I would have had in Australia which was also great but with my mentality that's what I needed I needed to be in this melting pot of different cultures and new ideas and someone speaking French someone speaking Spanish and then both having a massive argument in the middle of the office I needed to be part of that because mm. I love that energy so yeah it was right for me I get it. Yeah. so kind of can you just give us like a very quick two or three minute overview of what you actually do for a living okay so I used to work uh, in software consultancy and business process redesign. So very large companies would want to streamline their operations. They'd want to become more efficient. They'd want to be able to give customers better response times or allow them to help themselves through a portal or some things like that. And so we had all these different systems that had to integrate, talk to each other. And I was principally concerned with getting the sales order out of the door and getting the invoice uh, paid. So from that whole customer facing element and more, the more recent years was on very complex pricing agreements. So uh, things like computers, there's a very low margin when they, the company sells to a, a, um, a wholesaler or like a department store, for example, they might make 5% selling whatever computers to that place or you know, Apple phones or whatever it is. But they'll make more money coming back from Apple or whoever it is, like uh, Isus, for example, they make laptops and screens, right? So 
I'll sell to the customer and make 5%, but then I'll claim back from Azus. I hit my target. I sold all of these and I made 5% only to all of these customers. I want 10%. So they would make more money from the vendor than the customer. And so we had these two-sided agreements and it's quite complicated. And yeah, it was very, very complicated to understand what the requirements were to get it all built into a software system and understand how you'd settle it at the end of the year and manage the cash flow and all of this this type quite quite complicated business thing. So I was doing that for some time. And over the years, I, I always liked property. Um, I'm a property guy and I would invest in the UK. So I'd, I'd save up and I, I was able to buy a flat or I bought my first flat and then I remortgaged it. I, I spent five thousand pounds on it, and it added like seventy or eighty thousand pounds of value during an up market. Okay, cool. So I remortgaged that, and I got the deposit for my next one. But I kept that. I still got it today. So that's paying me every month. And then I bought my next one. I renovated that, and I made a few hundred thousand pounds renovating that. Um, I had it for seven years, and then I bought my next one. And I was buying some property here and there. I've got a small portfolio, and when I had my IT company, it was just me, but I I was able to save that money. Instead of paying myself money that I didn't need and paying quite high taxes, I kept it within the company and I invested it through the company. So I had stocks and bonds and, and funds in the company. And I was able to wind that up at the start of this year and there's a tax benefit for entrepreneurs. So I was able to benefit from that. And I've taken that money and I've started a property company now and I'm buying a block of flats uh, at the moment and another property at the moment and they're going to help replace some of my old income and just give me a bit more freedom. Nice, man. So are you still actively working now or are you really just managing your investments? The second one, yeah. But also, I'm at a point where, okay, I need to create purpose in my life. I need to be happy. I need to be fulfilled. I'm too young just to put my feet up and, and look at the sunset every day. It's like I've, I've got a business mind. I enjoy working with other people, creating great things and endeavors and challenge and, and things like that. So it's okay. So I've got, if I've got the cash flow coming in from the property stuff, what's next for me? Do, do I want to buy more properties? Do I want to work with somebody else to, I don't know, buy some tents and rent some forest and create an Airbnb business with some luxury tents and stuff in, in Wales? Maybe it's cool. Like, let's see, I, I'm, I'm quite keen just to get these couple of transactions over the line because they've been quite stressful and taken a bit of a lot of energy. But when they're over the line, then the cash flow is secured. And then what else, what other money have I got? How do I want to use my time? So it, it's full possibility now, and I'm open-minded, and I want to. I want to. I know that when you're doing things that you love, it gives you energy and passion, and I, and I really want to tap more into that and, and create some really great stuff. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a, a goal that a lot of us uh, should aspire to, instead of just thinking, okay, once we get to a point, we can just retire and do nothing, because that's fun for about three weeks, and then yeah. either you just kind of continue doing it you know, out of, I don't know, boredom and you kind of just, you know, sit on the couch, watch more TV, watch more Netflix, or, you know, you can do something you actually enjoy doing and, you know, whether it makes money or not. Two points to that. Towards the end of my IT career, at the start, I absolutely loved it and the opportunity and meeting new people, it was amazing. But then over the years, I was doing the same thing over and over and that was taking my energy. So whilst in the, I had targets and I had 
plans to do this and that and build this business and build that business. When it came to doing it, I didn't really have the energy and the motivation because doing this job that was maybe grating me, grating with me now, uh, was taking that energy away. Yeah. So, yeah, that that that's been really pivotal. And I, I think one other point to that. A lot of people are like, yeah, well, when I get my first million or wh- whatever that number is, I want to work really hard for that. And then I'm going to do nothing. And you see all this advertising by my program uh, on Instagram, advertising on Facebook, by my program, and you'll be able to sit by the beach and do nothing. Well, actually, if you have the, the mindset and the motivation to actually build a second income or whatever it is that gets you to that place, you've developed the skills to be something greater. And now you're not, you're not going to just sit at the beach and be happy. Like you've built yourself into something else. You, you're, you're 1.1 version of yourself or 2.0 version of yourself to get to that point. Now you, you can do even more because not only do you have those skills, but you've proven to yourself that you can do something more than the simple existence of whatever it was. Most people have a nine to five simple job and coming home and watching Netflix. You've proven that you're something more. So the world's got more possibilities and when you've when you've got this this freedom financially you can choose how to be and how to live yourself live your life and when you're not doing things that are great with you you're kinder you've got more compassion and time for people so you've got so much more to give and i, I think that's a real opportunity that people can aspire to i love it that was very inspiring Thanks, thank you so much for coming on the show yeah, it's a pleasure, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Yeah, if people want to reach out, are you on uh, social media or anything? Yeah, probably the best way to uh, link up with me would be on Instagram, uh, M-A-R-T underscore H-E-T-Z, Mart underscore Hetz. Look forward to catching you there. All right. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Hey, bosses, wanted to take a commercial break and let you know about this week's sponsor, athleticbrewing.co. If you are not sipping on a tasty beverage right now, go to the fridge and grab a can of something delicious. And if you're like me and you don't want to drink alcohol during the day, but you still want to have a tasty drink like an all-out stout or an upside-down uh, you know, beer or a seltzer or something, you can check out athleticbrewing.com. And you can actually use a promo code BOSS20 to save 20% off any of these non-alcoholic brews. Uh, anything from Run Wild IPA to Upside Down Golden Ale. There's a ton of delicious drinks and they keep adding more. I would get the variety case just to see what you like. Uh, but the Free Wave Hazy IPA sounds good. Cerveza uh, Athletica sounds good. Actually, they all sound good. The First Ride Coffee Porter. And this is a great way to have a tasty, non-alcoholic brew uh, that's actually still a craft beer. And because it's non-alcoholic, you can drink anytime and it can be delivered to your door. So go to athleticbrewing.com and use promo code BOSS20. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD.